0: You know, today I'm very excited for the message um, that we're going to dive into today. And, you know, traditionally this is the day that we celebrate Palm Sunday. This is the day we celebrate as the Christian family, Jesus entering the city and the laying down of palms. But we did that two weeks ago. Uh, We've been on a four-week journey as we we were calling it the Via Della Rosa, the path of pain that Jesus went on uh, to get to the cross. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm excited that we're getting to Easter. Anybody else? excited just to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But today we're focusing in Matthew 26, we're focusing on Jesus in the garden. He had just had his last supper um, with his disciples where he had shared kind of what was going to happen and he told them what was to come. And now Jesus is going off to a garden where he regularly went. And he, he's, he's going to the Father. He's going to pray and, and to work this out with his heavenly Father. And there's just so much we can learn from this passage. So we're in Matthew 26, verse 36. It says this Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, Stay here while I go over there and pray. What an interesting interaction! Jesus takes the disciples and he says to the disciples, okay, you stay here. I'm going off to pray. Something really just stood out to me this week as I, as I think through that. There's times in our life where the answer is to stay there. To stay there. I mean, we, we are a, uh, people who, who are often prone to fleeing. How, how quick do we move on to the next thing in life? How, how, how fast-paced is our life where we're always looking for the next adventure or the next promotion or the next stage of life when sometimes the answer is to stay because we can learn in the staying period, even if it's hard. Even if it's a struggle, what Jesus is about to go to, the disciples have to feel this pressure and this pain that Jesus is bearing on his shoulders. They feel that, but he says, stay here. And sometimes in our life, he's going to call us to stay. Even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when the enemy's trying to convince us to run. I'm talking like family life gets hard, marriage gets hard. Sometimes his answer is going to be, stay. I need to teach you something in this season. I don't know, anybody got kids? There's a lot of times I feel like running away. I feel like, yeah, I see that hand back there. There's times I wake up and I'm like, okay, God, you're taking me home today because this is hard. But stay here. Stay here. I want to teach you what the love of a father really looks like. I want to teach you what this looks like. Stay in it. So he says this to his disciples. And the reason why he wants, he brings them with him to the garden is there's three things he wants his disciples to do in this moment, as we're about to get into. Number one, he wants his disciples to watch. He wants his disciples to watch him, not just interact with him, but be off in a distance watching Jesus, because they know what's coming. They, 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 Jesus knows what's coming, and he wants to, the disciples to watch how we should respond when we face trials. When we face struggles, when we face pain, he says, watch what I do. Because soon I won't be here with you in person. I need you to know how to respond to this. The other thing, he wants us to learn. He wants us to grow in it, to know, to to become better understanding of the importance of getting into the presence of God. That when we're facing these hardships, the answer lies at the feet of the throne. The third thing he wants us to do is he's going to show his disciples what it really looks like to surrender in this passage. Because over and over again, this passage we're about to talk through, Jesus will say, God, if, if, if you could, let this pass for me, but let your will be done. He's showing his disciples these three things of how they are going to need to live going forward, to watch, to learn, and to surrender. And he's still trying to teach us that today. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus is still alive. We're about to celebrate it in just a week. But he's not just alive, he's still teaching. He's still leaning in, he's still correcting, he's still healing, he's doing everything today. So we could put ourselves in this garden and realize what was Christ trying to teach us in this moment? Now, I don't know if you guys realize this, we live in a very distracted culture. We are so distracted. Like we have a phone, we have a flat screen TV in our hand 24 seven. And when we put that down, Our watch starts to ding. And then when we walk away from both of them, we get a dinging in our ear that tells us, hey, get back to your watch. We are so distracted that sometimes I feel maybe we miss what Christ is trying to teach us in a moment. We can become so distracted with what's next, who's doing this, we can miss what he's trying to teach us through his word today. Because I don't know if you know this, you open up the word of God, it's life-changing. It's just amazing what the Bible says to us today. I'll be completely honest. When I was a young Christian, I I was like a couple times a month reader of the scripture. You know, most of the time I would only read the scripture when it was up on the screen and the pastor was talking about it. But through this process, I've fallen in love with the word of God. I've realized in my time that that every single word in the Bible is life-changing and transformational. It's alive. And the more I dive into it, the more my life changes for the better through it. Jesus is still trying to teach us just like he did his disciples. But then in verse 37, it says this. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He says to them, my soul is crushed. That there's a crushing on his soul because he knows what's coming. And often we can read this scripture. We know, we think it's, he's crushed, he's in pain, he's struggling because he knows the cross is looming. And it's not so much that the pain of the cross is looming. I don't think that's what is crushing his soul because what's about to happen on the cross when he is betrayed and he goes to the cross is he is going to bear all the sin of humanity. He's going to bear the sin of humanity and become the sacrifice for us for all of eternity. And at that point of him taking on yours and mine, our mistakes. Our sin, our failures, he takes that upon himself. And for the first time in Jesus' life, he will experience something he's never experienced before. He will experience separation from the Father. He, he, He has never felt what it would feel like to be separated from the Father. He's always just been there with him. But for the first time, the sin will cause a separation because God is a perfect God. Heaven is a perfect place. And our sin... Our sin that we brought on ourselves cannot be in the presence of God. So Jesus is going to take this on. And there will be a moment where he is separated from the Father for the first time. But because he does that, he creates a pathway through his resurrection that one day we will not be defined by our sin but by his blood. And we can spend eternity in heaven with him. If that doesn't scream the love of Jesus for you and me, I don't know what does. That he was willing to go through this crushing pain. Like Jesus doesn't mix his words in scripture. When he says my soul is crushed, he means it. He's feeling that. Because he has to pay the price that we deserve to pay. We we deserve to pay it. We made the mistake. We fell. Isaiah 51 says this. Describing what humanity chose to do when, when falling to sin. Isaiah 51 says, wake up. Wake up, Jerusalem. You have drunk the cup of the Lord's fury. You have drunk the cup of terror, tipping out its last drops, meaning that humanity had fallen. We had fallen from grace. And because of that fall, there was a price that needed to be paid, and Jesus is on his way there. And he finds himself in this garden called Gethsemane. And the interesting thing about this is Gethsemane literally means olive press, it means olive press. This is a picture of an olive press right here. And what this machine does is they would take the grapes from the vineyard and they would put it into the olive press and they would roll this stone around and it would separate the flesh of the olives from the ingredients they needed from it. So Jesus is literally at a place called olive press and he is saying, my soul is being pressed. That, that, that I am Feeling this pressure, this separation for the first time. And if, if you didn't know this, blood sweating is actually a, because uh, it says that he sweats drops of blood. Karen said that earlier. Blood sweating is an actual medical condition that happens to people. It's, don't, don't judge me, doctors, if I say this wrong, but it's called hemethrodysis. Hometrodisis, this occurs in people who have some uh, rare blood disease, but it also incurs in people who are under extreme levels of stress. They can get to this point. This is where Jesus finds himself being pressed to the point where he's sweating drops of blood, the stress and the anxiety. Verse 39 says this. He went a little farther and bowed his face to the ground. Praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering, once more referring to that cup in Isaiah that we talked about, be taken away from me. Yet I want your will be to be done, not mine. We, in this moment, we get to see the humanity of Jesus. Because Jesus is, in his time on earth, he's fully God and fully man. We get to see him going to the father and saying, please, if there's any other way, If there's any other way this can happen, God, please take this cup. But if it has to, let your will be done. We see Jesus' fear. We see his anxiety of what's to come. And there's something just so life-giving about this passage. That Jesus felt emotions that we feel on a daily basis. Think about that. Jesus doesn't look at you and the things you're struggling with and the the fears of your life and the anxieties and the depression and the loneliness that you feel. He's not saying, how could they feel that way? How could they do that? Don't they know who I am? No, he lived it too. He knows what you're going through. So when he sees these things in you, he says, I've lived it too. But I'm with you. So often in the church, we can be so quick that when somebody comes to us and says, I'm scared, I'm anxious, I'm depressed, we'll go right to solution. Right to the solution point of, okay, if you don't want to do that, do this. Sometimes we just need to say, we're here with you. I'm with you in it. I'm not gonna try to fix you. I'm not gonna try to correct you. I'm just gonna be with you and allow Jesus to do the work in you. Then we continue to go, on in this piece of scripture here in the garden. And you think about this, Jesus is sweating drops of blood. He is praying harder than he's ever prayed. He's got his disciples staying over here and they should be praying really hard, right? I mean, you think about it, your teacher, the, your rabbi, the one you've been following is sweating drops of blood. So the disciples must be on their knees just crying out to God for, to help Jesus, to help the one they love. You think that, but that's not at all what's about to happen. Verse 40 says this. Then he returned to the disciples and he found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me for even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body body is weak. Couldn't you even pray with me for one hour? couldn't you pray with me for one hour see but here's the problem as as humans we we have this disease of distraction and comfort we do We, we are so distracted and oftentimes we will fall into comfort when we're put in a hard situation when we're stressed we will just seek comfort if you don't believe me go tell your kids to clean their room I just—I told this story a couple weeks ago uh, about a time where I asked my daughters that we we're going to donate a toy, and they brought the toy. Uh, I brought the toy, and I said, "This is the one." And one of my daughters just starts screaming at me like, "No, you're not giving my toy away!" And I'm like, "I'm like good Christian dad, you know, like hey, a kid needs this. There's kids in the world that don't have toys." Her response was, "I don't care. That's my toy." right? She set her priorities. But then just the other day, I was like, go clean your room. They're cleaning their room. They're getting distracted like every 30 seconds. So finally I walk in, I put my foot down. Hey, if this floor isn't clean in two minutes, any toy on it, I'm throwing away. I'm going to throw that toy away, right? I'm like, got him, There's, This is definitely going to work. My daughter, the same one that wouldn't sacrifice her toy to the poor kid who didn't have toys, Walks out with her favorite toy. Says, Dad, you can throw this one away. I don't want to clean. (laughs) What? We think about this human condition. How many times do we do that? The disciples are doing it in this moment. What they should be doing, they're not doing. But you got to remember the disciples aren't just tired here. The disciples aren't just tired, they're scared. They've been, they've, been, they've been. had people hunting them down and they're hating them everywhere they went. They're feeling all this pressure of the world. They're emotionally drained. And what we need to remember is it's easy to drift to sleep when we're tired and exhausted, lonely and depressed. It's easy to drift to sleep. I do it every time I watch a sporting event. Just drift to sleep. But not just like physically drifting to sleep, it is easy for us to spiritually drift to sleep. That there's areas in our life that we have drifted to a place that we're sleeping through it. We're there, we're at the game, but we're not engaged in the game. We're we're at church, but we're not engaged in it. There's areas that we've drifted, and I just wanna say real quick, I am not preaching to you in this next part. I'm listening with you. I I, I was so convicted studying and reading this and preparing this this week. But I came up with four things that I think there's areas that we drift into sleeping in. The first one is this. The first one is our worship. I, I, I wonder how many of us, if we're truly honest with ourselves, have drifted into a place where our worship has just become routine. And I'm not just talking about our Sunday worship where we come together, we sing songs. I'm talking a lifestyle of worship that is just full and beautiful, that it's not just a Sunday thing, it's an everyday thing that I can't help but sing about the greatness of God from my soul, from my depths, that everything inside of me, even without words, is worshiping Jesus. I, I think maybe we've gotten comfortable in this area and maybe we've replaced a temporary Sunday worship experience for our lifestyle of worship. We have to ask ourselves that. Have we drifted into sleeping through this? The second thing is I think some of us might have drifted into is our impact. That, that, that we have lost sight of the fact that we were created on purpose with a purpose. That you were created to impact the world around you, not just to survive through it not just to to get through life, but you were designed to to have an impact everywhere you went, to be kingdom minded, to to be a part of building the kingdom of God and loving people and caring for people. I think some of us, if we're honest, we've drifted to sleep and we are just going through the motions trying to get to tomorrow when we're missing the opportunity for impact. Third area I think some of us have fallen asleep in is is community. I mean, think about it. Just over these last couple years with everything we've faced as a country and as a world, and I'm not just talking about community like hanging out with friends. I'm talking about authentic, Christ-centered, ironing, sharpening iron, like accountability, deep community where we are truthful with someone, where we are confessing to them and they're confessing to us, and we are growing together. I think we've just gotten comfortable doing life by ourselves. We've drifted into sleeping through this, and the fourth one, this is the one that got me our passion. I think if we're honest, some of us have drifted into a place where our passion for Christ has gone to sleep. I know this because I talk to so many people. And often when we're talking through the struggles of their faith, I, I hear these words. Man, I just remember when I first gave my life to Christ, I was so on fire. I, I felt so close to him. But just life happened, stress happened, and now I just feel like he's distant and he's not there. That happened because we've drifted. We've drifted into a place where we're sleeping on just our passion for Jesus. I, I wonder if we're just completely honest, do we really have a passionate love for Jesus? Is, is it like something that like wakes us up in the middle of the night and we just can't help but praying to him and singing his praises? Do we have a passion for the love and the remembering the sacrifice he did for us? Some of us need to just rekindle that flame. Some of us just need to get back to that place where Jesus, you are the number one priority in my life. Uh, you, You are the number one thing in my life. Everything is centered around you, Jesus. And all four of these things we talked about, we could do that today. If one of them stood out to you that you feel like you've drifted to sleep in, just ask Jesus to wake you up. If you're sleeping through one of the areas, just say, Jesus, wake me up in my worship. Jesus, wake me up in my impact. Jesus, wake me up in my passion. Get me back to where I was. Jesus. It then goes on to say, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Romans 7 says, don't, I, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it instead. Anybody relate to that? I want to do what's right. I do what I hate. We are in a battle between spirit and flesh. All of us in this room are in a battle between spirit and flesh. This God-honoring spirit in us that wants to live holy and pure is battling this flesh of the world. And they're competing for our time, for our effort, for our passion. And whichever one you feed more is going to win the battle. If you want to do what is right and you want to honor God, spend more time with him. Spend more time in his word. Because, put it this way, I heard this the other day, it was just beautiful. When a boat sinks, it is not sinking because there's water around it. It is sinking because it's having water go inside of it. Our life is the same way. The things that we allow into our life can sink us. It can drag us down. We're in a battle. Then Jesus says in verse 42, My Father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, let your will be done. Let your will be done. This is one of the most just important prayers that we could pray. Because as Christ followers, we should be praying this all the time. God, let your will be done in my life. And there's things in our life that we cannot put above his will, but we often do. There's things that we need to to make sure that we are going for his will above. The first thing I think of is fear. How often are we scared? Are we intimidated what God is calling us into? And we give into the fear instead of his will. Or what about this one, our pleasures in life, the things that make us feel good, the The things that give us temporary happiness, how often are we giving into those instead of submitting to the will of God in our life? Our status, our power, our security, our retirement plans, our, our saving money, all of that. How often are these things winning in our life over the will of God? Verse 43, as we keep going, it's like I gotta wrap up here. You guys are hungry. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping. For their eyes, they couldn't keep them open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same thing again. Then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and have your rest. Go ahead and have your rest. But look, the time has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And then like underline this, circle it in your Bible up let's be going look my betrayer is near as Judas the guy we talked about last week approaches with the army to take Jesus for him to go to court for a crime he's not guilty of and make his way to the cross and die Judas approaches and Jesus says look My betrayer approaches. I wonder what Jesus would say about us if we were to approach. If we were the ones to be approaching Jesus in the garden and he pointed and he said, Look, would he say something like, my devoted follower approaches. My son or daughter who just loves me with all of their heart who I know, who I'm in relationship with. Look, there they are. Or look, there's my son who seems to really love me on Sundays but doesn't know me any other day of the week. Look, there's my daughter who's just filled with anger and regret and won't give it to me look, there's my son who just doesn't even know my heart because he never spends time with me. What would he say? I think we have to evaluate ourselves. What would Jesus say as he pointed to us? How would he know us? He knew Judas as the betrayer because that's what he was to Jesus what are we doing? What are we, what are we doing in our part of the relationship? How are we loving him? Because I don't know about you. I want, when Jesus looks at me, there's my devoted son who would die for me, who spent every day of his life on his knees, worshiping me, who had one goal, to get to the end of his life and to hear me say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's where I want to get to. And I know some of us right now, we're feeling that conviction. We're feeling that, man, there's other stuff in my life that if Jesus looked at me, he would say something different. And I want that to change. I got some good news for you. We serve a God who is in the title-changing business. We serve a God that it doesn't matter what you walked in these doors with, as the title above you, we serve a God that can change it right now. If you, if you are the one who's saying, I want to be a devoted follower, I don't want to be the part-time player, I want to be in the game, just ask him to change it. Jesus, change my heart in this area. I want to change my title. I want, I, I want to be known as your passionate son or daughter. We serve a God who changes titles, amen? I I just think as we get close to Easter here, it's important for us to realize and look at this story that every day we're here, everything we do matters. And we have the great opportunity to just surrender ourselves to Jesus, making that the number one priority in our life, amen? Let me pray for us. Father God, We love you and we praise you. We thank you for being a title changer and giving us the opportunity as some of us are working through that right now. Giving us the opportunity for you just to invade our life, to to teach us something new, to love us in a different way. We surrender to you, God. Just as Jesus prayed, let your will be done in our life. Pull us closer to you, God. Pull us into you for our heart and prayer is for us to be your devoted son and daughter. We love you and praise you in your holy name. Amen.